Well, we're still in our study of Ecclesiastes. And at this point, I think it's good to just back up a little bit and review where we are. Ecclesiastes is a foreign word that really means people who are called into assembly. You are my Ecclesiastes this morning. You have been called out of your different niches in life and brought here together to this place. You were called out to hear God's word. That word has always been applied to the church. In fact, that is how church is translated from the Greek. We are an ecclesiastical group. We are the people, and that reminds us that the church is not this building, as beautiful as it is, it is you who are sitting in these seats. You are the church. You are the people of God. You are the ones who are called out. And Ecclesiastes is a book addressed to the people who have been called out of a great experience in their life and in the lives of all of their family. Ecclesiastes was one of those books that was written after the great exile in Babylon. after the northern kingdom had already fallen because of their infidelity to God. And their punishment was that they lost their identity and were carried off by the Assyrians into the north country, never to return to their homeland and to be lost forever from the pages of history. They're lost to us, but they're not lost to God. They have been swallowed up by the tribes in which they were settled in ancient times, and they lost their identity as the chosen people of God, but they still exist out there. The two tribes that remained faithful to God sustained themselves for about 200 more years and they too fell prey to all the temptations around them to worship foreign gods and to deal unjustly and unfairly with their own people and not to truly care for the people of need around them and to strive to be faithful. And they too were punished. But they repented in their punishment. And so God annexed them from their their land for 70 years. I want you to think of what that means. The Babylonians came in and assaulted them, destroyed their cities, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything that they identified as the people of Israel and carried them off into slavery. The senior members of those carried off 
tried to remember all they could about what the prophets had preached to them, about the Mosaic law, about the uniqueness that they were called into by God and tried to be faithful to them. And they taught their children. And their children, what they could remember, taught their children. And by the time the 70-year punishment had ended and God arranged as only he can to have the captors send the captives back to their homeland. And not only did they send them back, did they free them and send them back to their homeland, but they even financed the job of rebuilding their cities that had been destroyed. And these were the people who came back to Israel. If you want to read about this unique time in Hebrew history, read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah that tell about this miraculous deed that God arranged to restore his people and how they came back and how they began to clear up the rubble that was there in the desert and pick up these huge stones that had been pulled down and began to fashion again the walls to protect them and then build their temple and the various buildings of their commerce. And it was in the course of rebuilding the temple and moving the stones that had been thrown down that they found the opening to a cave. And in that cave, they found all of their precious remnants of the past, all of the scrolls of the Mosaic law, all of the warnings of the prophets, all of the great teachings from God that formed them into the people that God wanted them to be. And now they had an opportunity to hear them again. And in those books, you will see that beautiful scene when the people are ecclesiastiated or called out to come and to listen, to hear for the first time God's word as it was written directly from God and not as it was remembered in part by people, but to hear all of God's word. It was the true restoration of them. And the Bible explains how they stood there in this new land of theirs from morning to evening as Ezra read God's word to them and how they wept with joy that God had delivered them. This is the framework in which Ecclesiastes was written. And we do not know who the writer was. He only comes down to us as the narrator. But we know that he's speaking to us with the heart and the mind of King Solomon and speaking much about what Solomon has spoke about uh, in, his, in Proverbs and in the various books that were written that are now part of the wisdom books. 
And those words spoke to uh, these people. But for 70 years, they had been in a foreign land. They had been exposed to foreign philosophies. They had lived under them, and some had succumbed to them in order to survive and had watered down their faith and had mixed it up with some of the foreign Eastern religions that they got in Babylon. They had some doses of fatalism, which taught to the ancient people that life is meaningless and that it has already been predetermined what you will suffer and what you will gain. And in the end, it will all be over and you will die and be nothing but a memory for a short period of time. They also stirred in some of the teachings of the Stoics that taught that all of life had no meaning and there was no need to be involved in anything or to try to do anything because everything was hopeless and you just endured whatever time was given you and you made the most of it. And the reason you made the most of it was because that was all you had. There was no life beyond that. Life was so bleak, the future was dead. They even stirred in some of the ancient teachings of reincarnation, that we are no different from the animals. We are simply a phase of life. And as you live your life, then your reward or your punishment is that you come back at a different level on the food chain as a lower animal or a higher animal. Or if you've led a, a rather good life and kind to your neighbor, you'll come back as another person and maybe in a different caste and in a highly favored condition. But all of these things were mixed up in the minds and the hearts of the people who came back. And now they had to balance the words that they were hearing from their ancient time with some of the misinformation that they brought back from them. And Ecclesiastes lays all of that out very clearly for them. And it shows them the choice that they had. The teachings of their captors under which they lived for so long and the word and promises of God which offered so much to them. And so that's what Ecclesiastes presents for us. And it starts out by talking about the futility of life. And in effect what it's saying is which would you rather have? Would you rather have a meaningless life with the only thing that you ever had to look forward to was what you could achieve here with the limited talents that you have and there was nothing else available to you? It talked about work and it asked, do you think this is all your life? Is this all you want your life to be? What you do? What your job is? 
and have no meaning beside that. And the only thing you'll ever achieve is the promotions that you make in the job, either socially among your peers or personally as you acquire more knowledge to attend to that duty that you have to do and how important that, that work is. And then last week we looked at their concept of time, of seasons, that everything happens in a cycle and it makes no different what you do, what hopes you have. You are subjected to a cycle of activities that are going to make work their way out regardless of where you are. There is a time for everything. But the word that God gives us is that time is in his control. He created time. He placed us into this time. And he used this time to give us hope for our life. And the promise of a redeemer who would come and set everything fairly. And so that's what we look at today. Justice and judgment. Judgment a choice that is made for you. Judge, uh, justice is the right choice, the fair choice that gives equity to us. And we would like to think that the two are synonymous and that judgment always brings justice. But life is not like that. And these people remembered seeing that in the foreign land in which they lived. And they had an opportunity to make it right in the new land that they were called to. And this is what Ecclesiastes calls them to, to true justice. I remember when I was a child in grammar school and in our community, the Coca-Cola company used to come around once a year during the school year and would pass out pencils, free pencils to us. Of course, the Coca-Cola emblem was on it, but at least we were getting a free pencil and we were glad to get a pencil because that was an important implement in our day. They also passed out a ruler, a 12-inch ruler, a nice wooden ruler that everybody got. And I remember the phrase that was always on there, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And that was the, the rule, the Christian concept of justice that we grew up with. But there were also the cynics among us who saw that justice wasn't always uh, given and the saying came about the golden rule is that those who have the goal make the rules and that you are subjected to that. And that's getting back to the old philosophy that the people of Ecclesiastes had to deal with because that's not God's plan for justice. It's not the one who have the goal that makes the rules. God has a rule for us. See if you remember this one. 
back in the saddle again. Back where a friend is a friend, where we sleep out every night, and the only rule is might. Back in the saddle again. See, Gene Autry and Roy Rogers and Red Ryder, they also taught us a philosophy about might and the constant struggle between might and right. And remember how we all flocked to those Saturday afternoon westerns to get a good dose of justice because that was the theme of every western that we saw. There were always those with the goal who were making the rules and subjecting the people in the community. There were always those with the might who had the strength and imposed their will on other people and took what they wanted until the heroes rode into town and established law and order and justice. And we all came back from those Saturday Westerns with a sense that we had seen something accomplished that might and goal no longer had that power, but there was such a thing as justice. In our day, it came in a white hat, but justice was always there given. We came home feeling that the world was good and comfortable and we could live together until next Saturday when we went back to see that all played out again with another set of characters. See, that is something that the human spirit craves and has to have, that justice, that things are made right. Remember the classical symbol of justice? Justice is shown to us in most of the courthouses around the country as a woman who is blindfolded and she's holding a balancing scale. And she's blindfolded because she's not supposed to be influenced by the might or by the power that the people come to her asking for justice. But she will simply put the reality of things in the scales and even them up and make the right decision so that justice is not bought, it's not purchased, it's not forced, it is given because of the equity that is needed in that situation. Even when we try real hard to be just, we know that we don't always make it. Every day we read in the paper with the, about the new scientific advances that we have made so that we can prove things now that could not be proved 20 years ago. And we find people who have been tried in a court for a crime and all the evidence has been weighed and they were found wanting and they were sentenced to a life of many years in prison and later find out that they were innocent. 
See, even the system doesn't always work for us. The only thing that works for us is God. And when we humbly place ourselves before God and ask for his justice, There's something about that justice that's very important to us also. Jesus talked about it in the gospel today. He said, you heard it was said that you should hate your enemies and love your friends. But I tell you to love your enemies. Love those who are opposed to you. Because that love can write the scales and it can it has the power under God's grace to deprive them of the power and weight that they have and bring true justice into a situation you know the cowboy shows that we talked about were all based on reality because that's the way the world was And we don't have to look far these days to find out that that's the way much of the world still is today. The third world in the Far East that's causing such consternation in our world today has been locked in the time warp, pre-Christian time. And there, those who have the gold make the rules and those who have the might exert the force and what we see are warlords all warring for their own turf and those who are able to capture it do so and those who can't fall but the ones who win win not because of justice but when because of their might that they had. And that's still going on. That was the world in which Abraham received God's word from him and asked him to turn his back on this way of living and go to a, take a journey and go to a new land that I will show you and there bring about a real civilization. And there is the land that Moses gave his law to. And in that law, he brought equity in stages to the conditions in which the world operated. We hear a great deal today in the third world about these blood uh, uh, curses uh, and about these... uh, um, blood hatred that exists in families, that if someone does something to your family, then you do something twice as bad to their family. And no one in the family is, is allowed to rest until they have been vindicated by using greater force to suppress their enemies. The Mosaic Law began the process of changing that 
when it said there must be equity in any retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Be fair in extracting the justice that you need to bring about. That was transformational. That was extremely unusual in that particular time in history. The idea of that fairness in retaliation. But that was God's way of beginning to deal with us and bringing about that fairness. Then Jesus comes and he revs it up another notch. And he said, you have to forgive your enemy. Not only forgive them, but you have to love them. And if you love them, then you can change them. And you can bring about the unity that God wants to bring about. And that's what he's talking to us about. And Jesus said that we do not even have the ability to judge. Because our own personal judgment of someone else by the very fact that we are making that judgment is flawed because we see things from our own point of view and we're often closed in mind to the other possibilities. And that's why we go to a court of law and we try to have equity brought about by multiplying that by 12. Maybe 12 people can see things a little differently and there's more of a chance of fairness and justice being brought there. But as I mentioned, even then we find out that that system fails us. The only one that serves us is the one that Jesus gives us this morning. Love your enemies. Forgive your enemies. It is not within your purview to punish. God is the only just judge. And everything must be left to him. And thank God, our judge as God is a merciful God. And even he says that he will temper his judgment with mercy. Because his desire is that all people come to a knowledge of their relationship to God, change their life, and are saved. Gary mentioned an example in his sermon this morning about the two thieves that died with Christ one on the right and one on the left. And we always look at that and we say that the one who insulted Jesus and never would give, show any humility before him was lost on Calvary. And the one who turned to him and asked forgiveness, we know that he was saved because Jesus said that that day he would be with him in paradise. We can't presume that the other was lost. Jesus does not say that. But we, 
can, with our sense of judgment, feel that he must have been. But Jesus makes it very clear to us that God desires the salvation of all people. And so we leave justice to God. 